1: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prices. ChumpaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for another stirring edition of BTSC that's behind the Steel Curtains episode of The Retro Show. And not just any retro show, but the Pittsburgh Steelers retro show with me as always is my good friend, Tony Defio. Tony, what is going on, my man?
3: I am doing fantastic. Nothing much is going on. I just can't wait to to go back in time
2: and talk about where it all began with the chin. Absolutely. The chin man, Bill Cower. From, a, I believe, what's he from, like, North Carolina or something, or he lives in New York? I I can't remember where this guy's from. I
3: I just can't believe he didn't stay in Crafton where, he, where <laughs> his roots are. I mean, what's, what's, what's not in Crafton? Come on, Bill, come back. You're in Crafton. I'm in Crafton. I could get an
2: exclusive with you. That's all the reason for him to come back. Come <laughs> That's out. right. He figures he'll like uh, a out barbecues with Tony Jules Defio. That's right. I
3: would, I'd be dropping all the hot takes. I'd, I, Adam Schefter would have nothing on me.
2: <laughs> Partying like it's 1992. That's right. I would have said 1999, but that was not a good Steelers season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. So let's fire up the BTSC DeLorean for 1.21 gigawatts of pure fun as we set the time controls to a time when the Flying Elvises came into prominence because of the weekend's top movie, which was Honeymoon in Vegas. I remember going to see that at the theater. Boys to Men were on top of the music charts with End of the Road. You like that song, Tony. You woo all your ladies with Boys to Men, don't you? I certainly do. And and you'd be surprised how many,
3: not that I have any experience with this, but how many younger women I know to this day who still love boys to Men? They, they found them, I guess, because of YouTube or whatever. They're, they're a long-lasting band.
2: Timeless. Timeless. And a nut-hugger wearing jogger who loves to play the saxophone, he was from Arkansas, was gearing up for a presidential run. As for the Steelers, they were entering the Labor Day holiday with a new coach, William Laird Cower, for the first time since Chuck Noll debuted 23 years earlier. Welcome to September 6th, 1992. Not much was known about the 35-year-old area native Tony, except for the fact that he was the Kansas City Chiefs defensive coordinator under Marty Schottenheimer and was eight years removed from a career in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns. Plus, he had a cool mustache and a squarely defined chin. How much did you know about Bill Cower before he became the Steelers head coach, Tony?
3: Yeah, I didn't know a whole lot about Cowher at at that time. He was more of a dark horse candidate. Dave said he was also an area native. He was, I think he was a front runner early on, but then Cowher came, kind of like Mike Tomlin, Cowher came along and and blew the doors off of the Rooney family and, and the rest was history.
2: I didn't know much about him either. All I knew was they had this young guy, like I said earlier, cool mustache, the chin was chiseled. He looked ready for action. He looked like he could strap it on and play just like that. But I was excited. Then you had Sports Illustrated right before the season started saying Pittsburgh Steelers fourth in the Central Division at four and 12 is what they were projecting. Well, not only did William Laird Cower, Dan Rooney, and the rest of the people that were entrenched in black and gold, these people knew what was going on in their hearts and in the locker room. So it was something pretty special that was about to be unveiled. Houston started off the game with then 35-year-old Warren Moon driving his team near midfield, but the future Hall of Famer threw an interception to another surefire future Hall of Famer. Tony, I can't remember his name. I think it was Roderick something. My man Roderick Woodson,
3: yeah. In my opinion, the greatest corner in Steelers history, but that's just my opinion. I watched him play, but it was a great way for them to start, start off the game because they, they were huge underdogs playing on the road. They had a lot of doubters, so they they needed to start off strong, and this was certainly a great
2: example of that. Woodson was nursing a calf injury, and a lot of people didn't think that he was really going to be able to play, but he surprised everybody and came in and made it happen for the Steelers, so out trots the offense inside Houston territory to the 37-yard line. The Steelers could not convert the opportunity, though, and brought out the punt team. Pittsburgh got a break when Houston was called for offsides with the ball now at the 32 and a 49-yard field goal attempt a possibility. Bill Cowher eschewed an opportunity for Gary Anderson to go for three and sent out Neil O'Donnell in the offense on fourth down. Whoa, bold move from the rookie coach, Tony.
3: Yes, he wanted to show everybody that he was uh, he was going to be a risk taker. He was going to be a kind of a a cavalier kind of guy, and he went for it here. and, and And I thought it was a good move. Did it work? It did not work, but that's okay. They were, it was early in the game, first quarter. You're in, at the 32-yard line. It's not, it's not a huge risk, but I think it was one worth taking.
2: O'Donnell's pass to Jeff Graham indeed fell incomplete, and the Steelers turned the ball over on downs. Next, the Steelers' defense shut Moon down and forced another punt, but the blue defense got offensive and put Houston on the board when Lamar Latham sniffed out a play-action fake, burst through the offensive line, and cracked Neil O'Donnell. Johnny Meade scooped up the ball and scampered all the way to the end zone for the score. Those blue, powder blue clad jerks (laughs) in Houston, where they call the house of pain. Come on, that's dorky. Well, I'm dorky too, so I guess I would have loved it if I was a Houston fan. They were going crazy. But later, the impact of Lathan would surface again. Neil O'Donnell completed a pass to the normally sure-handed Merrill Hodge, who, upon being hit by Lathan, coughed off the football and jerry gray recovered to set up the oilers at the steelers 26 yard line they got down to the 11 and from that very spot with defenders in his face warren moon looked to be throwing the ball away but Ernest gibbons made a leaping grab and tapped his toes in the back of the end zone for the score instant replay was not a part of 1992 like it had been since 1986. If so, Gibbons probably would have been rolled out because his toes were on the line, but with 525 remaining in the first quarter, Houston led 14 to nothing. The Oilers as 11 point favorites seemed justified and everybody was looking for the next head coach for the (laughs) Pittsburgh Steelers, Tony.
3: Oh gosh, what a uh, inauspicious debut for the for the guy from Crafton and the way they were talking about Lamar Lathan the the NBC broadcast. I, I didn't know if they were talking about him or Lawrence Taylor, but he certainly was playing like it early in this game. And it wasn't an, a, a spectacular play by Givens to jump up and, and catch the ball and, and get his feet in. But as you said, he probably would have been out of bounds. But what are you going to do? Instant replay didn't exist at a point in the NFL's history, so uh, it had to stand. But either way, it was it was a, a hot
2: start by the Oilers defense for sure. It's funny. It existed, but it went away and then it came back and we've had it for a long time since. But in 1992, no dice. After a touchback, the Steelers took over at their own 20. After some modest movement and a long O'Donnell pass to a speedy Dwight Stone, my buddy, the Steelers ended up with a fourth down on the Houston 45-yard line. Cowher sent in Mark Royals into punt, but it was a ruse. Instead, on a fake, the mustachioed punter threw the ball to running back Warren Williams from Miami, Florida, who rumbled all the way down to the Oilers' one-yard line. Man, you would have loved to have seen Warren Williams get in there, Tony, because that would have made this fake punt so much niftier.
3: Absolutely, but it was still pretty darn nifty. And as far as a lot of people are concerned, this is where the Bill Cowher era began on this play. Down 14-0 early in the game against your bitter division rivals. And you execute a flawless fake punt from Royals to Williams and
2: put the offense in prime position. So here we go. Bill Cower in one quarter, less than one quarter, established that he has cojones. One time worked, the other time didn't. Going for it on fourth down, did not work. But the pass was incomplete. It's not like they were snuffed out. The next play, Oilers had no clue. And because of that, Barry Foster converted with 108 remaining. The Houston lead was cut in half at 14 to seven. And Barry Foster was coming out of the dark as becoming one of the great Pittsburgh Steeler rushers. And this was the season in year number three for Foster, becoming a household name in the 412. He was going to have a record breaking year for them. I think, am I correct? Did he
3: break the uh, sing- single season record for, for yardage? 1690 still stands. 1690 and the most 100 yard games in the, in the regular season. So he had come a long way by this point from his uh, his gaff in 1990, the kickoff gaffe re, where he treated it like a punt. A great example of Bill Cowher when he came in here in '92. He said this cupboard is not bare, and and Barry Foster was one of
2: the reasons why that
3: cupboard was not bare when, when Bill Cowher took over for that's Chuck no
2: That's a great point. I forgot that he said that, Tony. So I'm glad you brought that up. On the very next drive, you knew that Warren Moon was going to be able to answer with authority, but he would not. Instead, he threw his second interception of the day near midfield to Darren Perry. The Penn State rookie returned the ball down to the Houston 20. Now, Darren Perry, number 39, is one of the great defensive backs in Pittsburgh Steelers history. He's not up there with Donnie Schell, Troy Polamalu, even Minka Fitzpatrick another number 39 but this safety was an eighth round pick from Penn State and he really had a great career here there were guys that were coming out of the woodwork and becoming names for the Pittsburgh Steelers and you found them right here Barry Foster one of them and now Darren Perry the Steelers had a chance to tie the game early in the second quarter once again at the Houston 20-yard line. But a holding penalty to Duval Love set the Steelers back. Despite two catches on the drive from Jeff Graham, Pittsburgh had to settle for a Gary Anderson field goal with 13.08 remaining in the half. It was now 14-10 in favor of Houston. Following that, a 43-yard Lorenzo White run got the Steelers into field goal territory. Al Del Greco converted to extend the lead to seven once again. After a Steelers punt, Pittsburgh got the ball back in good field position when Warren Moon threw his third interception of the game. This time, the ball was tipped by Donald Evans on the line and Larry Griffin snagged the ball, setting the Steelers up at the Houston 34. Number 14 took advantage by tossing a 26-yard strike to Jeff Graham. The point after was blocked by the dominant Ray Childress, so with less than two minutes left in the half, the Houston lead was a mere point at 17 to 16. Did anybody really care about that missed extra point at this juncture, Tony? Because the Steelers, they were keeping up with their rivals from the Lone Star State. You're, you're exactly right.
3: It was uh, a great way to, to get back in the game after being down 14 nothing early. I mean, really early. And, and now you're only down by a point. Yeah, it hurt that the extra point was blocked, maybe for the, uh, the young team's psyche. But to only be down by one point at this point in the game... I think it said a lot about their, about their character uh, in, in week one of the
2: 1992 season. Now, this would not last. Despite Moon almost getting picked off by Richard Shelton, number one drove Houston quickly to a score from eight yards out. At halftime, the home team was now up 24-16. to 16. There were some nervous Nellies in Pittsburgh, but some people had to have been excited, Tony. Absolutely. And and you know what, now that you mentioned it,
3: I remember being kind of deflated at this point, because remember in 1992, the, the two point conversion wasn't in existence. It had not been implemented yet. So to have the extra point blocked and then to go in the halftime down by eight, I felt a little deflated now that I can think about back to my 20 year old self. So I don't know how everybody was. I was feeling pretty good overall, but I was also a little
2: disappointed in how the first half ended. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I didn't think about that with no two-point conversion at the time. But the fact that they were still in this game, still a pretty big deal. So let's go and take a break, and we will be back right after this with more of Pittsburgh, Houston, at the Astrodome, on the Steelers Retro Show.
1: 18 plus welcome
2: back to the Steelers retro show from behind the stillcurtain.com. my name is brian anthony davis tony defio is right next to me in the black and gold delorean as we go back to september of 1992 the day before labor day that's when opening week was back in those days before it changed now tony i'm pretty excited to talk about this game because it was bill cowher's first game And nobody really thought the Steelers were going to do anything in this game or in that season whatsoever.
3: You are exactly right. And and you mentioned DeLorean just a second ago. And what really that first half was really a great ride. And I can't wait to
2: see how the uh, second half of the trip unfolds. In the third quarter, the Steelers ate up 618 on the Astrodome clock and got to the Houston eight before settling for a 25-yard field goal which cut the Houston lead to five. That was Gary Anderson once again with the three. After a turnover on downs, the Steelers got another field goal from Anderson. Shaq Pardee's team led only by a score of 24 to 22. In the final quarter, Tony, this is when things would finally get really interesting. Moon engineered a 12-play clock-devouring drive down to the Steelers' four-yard line. Bill Cowher's debut seemed about to be spoiled, but on the 13th play of that drive, Moon was flushed out of the pocket by Gerald Williams and threw up a dying quail that Rod Woodson, that man again, plucked from the air and returned 57 yards to the Houston 44. Wow, Tony, Rod Woodson saves the day once again. He was the Superman for that team for a lot of years, and this being his sixth season, my gosh, you could see the red and yellow S coming through his white jersey with black numerals.
3: He was my, always my favorite player for Tech Mobile when I, whenever I was Steelers. And, and he really was a, a one-man show in a lot of games. And, and this game was another great example. And Warren Moon, I mean, this was his fourth interception of the game. And I realized one of them was tipped but the other three especially this one, was an absolutely horrible decision. And and I guess he was proof positive that there's such thing as a week one rust in the NFL, because this was not a great day for the legendary passer.
2: Then on first and goal from the nine-yard line, O'Donnell threaded the needle to rookie Adrian Cooper from Oklahoma for a TD. Cooper was replacing standout tight end Eric Green, who ended up in a sling early in the first quarter. With 8.06 remaining, Pittsburgh had its first lead of the game at 29 to 24. This is absolutely amazing. 14 straight points. They are making it happen, Tony Defio. They sure
3: are. And, and they had to be feeling pretty good. Everybody had to be feeling pretty good in Steeler Nation. You're halfway through the fourth quarter. You're down 14 nothing early. And all of a sudden, uh, with just a half a quarter to play, you're up by five. Uh, man, such. A, I remember being so excited watching, the, watching the, the, the fourth quarter. It felt like usually you don't get that excited by, for a week one game, but I was super into this game.
2: I was too. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in just a few minutes. Moon, though, was not done. And you always had to worry about this guy, whether he was in Edmonton or whether he was in Houston, or if he was in Seattle or Kansas City or Minnesota. This guy was always dangerous when there were less than two minutes on the clock. And he really tried to rally his team. But his fifth and final interception sealed the game. Larry Griffin again. Man, Larry Griffin was having a great game, too. His second pick allowed the Steelers to steal a win in the Astrodome and gave the Steelers nation a hope for life after Chuck Knoll. The jubilant Steelers celebrated by administering a Gatorade shower to their brand-new coach. Man, that mustache got all wet, Tony.
3: It sure did. And I remember being so excited and and awe, really, that they they went into the Astrodome and won this game. The way – the last two years were for the Steelers under Chuck Knoll kind of he felt like a malaise, like that Super Bowl malaise in the 70s. It kind of carried into the early 90s. But Bill Cowher came along with his enthusiasm and his hard nosed demeanor and his exciting demeanor. And uh, he, he turned everything around. And, and it was it was so exciting to see him uh, get that Gatorade bath. Could you imagine Chuck Knoll getting a Gatorade bath? Uh, absolutely not. But it was a special day for him
2: and and, and uh, his folks at home in Crafton had to be really proud of their son. I think they were, and I know I was sitting there, and I was just in wonder and awe of what I just saw because this was a different Pittsburgh Steelers team, and it was a different philosophy that I was used to. Yeah, I mean, Tony, we grew up with one coach. I was in college at the time. I was in my senior year of college, and the funny thing about it, I was used to all business when it came to football. I was used to Chuck Noll's Way, and this guy was a complete breath of fresh air. Now, it's not to say that we want to chuck Noll on, but you knew he was going to retire. You knew it was a situation, though, that you had to capitalize and make sure that the next guy after Noel was a good choice. And this guy ended up being a great choice. That year, the Steelers ended up 11-5. and five. In fact, they stumbled down the stretch a little bit. They ended up having a home playoff game against the defending AFC champions, the Buffalo Bills. They got killed 24-3 to in that game, but it didn't matter. You knew something was different, Tony. You knew this was going to be a very fresh team, a new team. It was a new era of football in the city of Pittsburgh, and it was led by Pittsburgh's own, Crafton's own, Bill Cower.
3: Those 1990s teams were... Some of the most special years for me as a fan and it all started in 92 and, and you're right. You know, I grew up with Chuck Knoll roaming the sidelines at old three river stadium. And you can imagine Penn state fans with Joe Paterno, Alabama fans with bear Bryant Cowboys fans with Tom Landry. I can't imagine anybody else being in that position. And Bill Coward came along and allied all of our fears right away. And definitely a, a, a fantastic era. Something on there. I'll always cherish.
2: I remember this game. Like it was yesterday. And I had just finished moving my stuff into our on-campus fraternity lodging. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated had predicted, like I said earlier, a four and 12 year for Pittsburgh. And there was little excitement about the game. So in our fraternity house, it was only me, my friend Eric, and another buddy named Bert. And they were dedicated enough to be watching the game with me. And we had prime spots because nobody wanted to watch it. By the fourth quarter of that game, Tony. The lobby was jammed with about 20-some guys watching the Steelers. After that day, you had to find your seat early and stay there. The season was special as Pittsburgh would win the division and usher in a new era. You know, you had diehards like me, Roberts and Bert. We were glad to have been originals on the Cower Steeler bandwagon. It was so much fun, man.
3: It was. And for people our age, you know, we're both going to be 50 (laughs) in not too distant future. We, we didn't remember the seventies and the eighties were kind of a downturn for the franchise. It wasn't a horrible decade, but it wasn't great either. And you were kind of jealous, you know, your parents and everybody got to all the adults got to experience the seventies and those Super Bowl teams. And, and Bill Cowher, he was sort of like our, our coach. And it was, it was our era as fans. And you know, people weren't in their twenties and we got to experience that excitement for the first time. It was such a, such a great time. It's something I like, I, again, I'll always cherish.
2: I would too. And I would say this. I love how you mentioned that we finally had our own coach. Cause I always felt like Chuck Knoll was that grandfather coach, the one that you respected. But you didn't mess with him while he was smoking his pipe, fetched him his slippers, and you were on your best behavior. Then Bill Cower comes in, and you're like, Hey, this is the cool uncle that is gonna buy you beer. (laughs) Absolutely right. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. But he was serious, you knew he meant business, but he loved his passion. And the passion was paramount. You felt it. And as fans, you were psyched for games. And I really think when you go to Heinz Field today and how those fans are rabid and they're they're wild and they're fun and they're ready and they, they, it all changed. You can even look at the fans. Now, the fans have always been passionate, but it was a different kind of passion when Bill Cowher took over. He actually made you feel like you were a part of it as a fan and that's something that to this day I appreciate from one William Laird Cower. And I know for people from behind the steel curtain, like for instance, like Jeff Hartman and Dave Schofield, they started becoming fans during the Bill Cower era. And so that's what they remember the most. We feel blessed. And I know I am blessed to have been able to experience Chuck Knoll. I've had a chance to experience all three. Now, I don't know anything about Buddy Parker. That was before we were both born. Don't talk about the Buddy Parker or the Bill Austin days for good reason. But I'm just going to say this. It is still amazing to me that Bill Cower came in all those years ago that 1992 was almost 30 years ago. And it's amazing to me that the Steelers in 52 seasons, starting to be their 53rd season, have only had three head coaches. It's inconceivable. Bill Cower is going to the Hall of Fame in less than two months. He will be inducted officially. I am going to shed a tear of joy because, like you said, Bill Cower belongs to us, and he's our coach.
3: He's a a beloved figure today for a reason. I think he might be the most popular coach in Steelers history. Fans just love him, and I think that that's the reason he – he came in and he ushered in a new era the franchise was kind of down. They were still living in the past and we're living in the seventies and Bill coward came along and said, Nope, we're, we're, we're going to be good again. We're going to be champions again. It took him a while, but it it did not take him a while to make his team a contender. And for that, I'll always be thankful to him.
2: I will honestly say this, and this is going off on a little bit of a tangent. There were some musings over the last few years that Bill Cowher was going to go, going to come out of retirement the right situation and coach and even as late as last year we had people thinking that he was going to be the next coach of the New York Jets he laughed that off and said no that's not true and if he came back to another team that would immediately be my second favorite team I would not root for them when they played the Steelers but I would root for that team because it'd be watching Bill Cowher again
3: I agree it would would be hard to uh, root against him yeah I, I think I would have a Affection for whatever team he coached, unless they were playing the Steelers, of course. Other than that, yeah, I, I agree with you. It'd be hard not to read for Bill
2: Cowher. Well, Tony, this was so fun going back to yesteryear. This was a game that we both remember watching. So thank you so much. We are going to have another dandy next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just tune in to find out what it's going to be. But for Tony Defio my name is Brian Anthony Davis. And you could take us away, we don't mind.